This episode is brought to you in part by Regent College, Vancouver, Canada. Experience God's call to a life more abundant with our one to two week summer courses. Sign up today at rgnt.net slash summer. One of the most brutal professional sports is cycling. It's a sport most easily characterized by one word, pain. Riders are expected to endure everything, whether it's the pain of endurance or the pain of a crash. For example, in 2009, three riders were sideswiped off the road by a car while moving at 30 miles an hour. One of them, Johnny Hoogerland, was thrown into a barbed wire fence. The commentator's response? Well, let's hope they can get it back together. Sideswiped by a car at 30 miles an hour and stuck in a wire fence, and the commentary is, get back up. I don't know what you thought of cycling, but it's not for the faint of heart. And the race that defines the sport is the Tour de France. Or Tour de France? France? Tour de France? Eh, you know what I mean. The race is over 2,000 miles long, taking over three weeks to complete. And it isn't flat. Cyclists climb enough elevation to scale Mount Everest twice in those three weeks. And they're doing it as fast as they can. Professional cyclists describe it as war, the first time they experienced true fear and a slow death. These are professional cyclists. These are the guys who do the sport for a job and it eats them up. The only way that you can make it to the end of the race is with a team a team committed to pulling each other to the finish line. Most people on the team are called domestiques, the French word for servant, and their whole job is to get one guy across the finish line. So they'll ride in front of their team leader and decrease the wind drag, go get him food, water, whatever it takes to help him over the mountains into the finish line before everyone else. Sounds a lot like our spiritual life. Welcome to Christianese. Today's episode is fellowship. Let me start by saying something we all know. Humans were made for community. We're made to be together. And in the church, the word we have for that togetherness is fellowship. But when we talk about fellowship, we generally mean hanging out, doing really normal things, but with other Christians. We have fellowship when we're watching a football game or The Bachelor. We have fellowship on the golf course or getting coffee or simply driving to church together. Now, there's a lot to be said for those quiet, commonplace moments that really build people into friends. But if we're content with thinking that fellowship is just being together— then we're missing the bigger picture of what God has for us. I mean, think about it. There's nothing particularly unique about hanging out with people who share the same beliefs as you. That's something everyone in the world does. If fellowship just means Christians hanging out with Christians, it's a pretty fancy spiritual dressing on an otherwise bland house salad. Luckily for us, fellowship is not just some spiritual makeup. It is something that Christ secured through his death and resurrection. And it's the source of our deep friendship and community. It all starts with the word koinonia, 
It's the Greek word we translate as fellowship, but it more accurately means sharing. And the things that the Bible says we have koinonia with is a pretty strange list. We have koinonia in our bodily nature and our shared faith. That may seem obvious enough. But as Christians, we also have koinonia in each other's material needs, in each other's sufferings, in worship, in partnering together, in evangelism, and in our eternal future. We also have koinonia in the divine nature, in the sufferings of Christ, in grace. We share in the privileges of Christ and in his future glory. Koinonia isn't something that happens when we come together. It's innate, shared characteristics. It's a list of things we've passively received, but we're actively participating in. We hang out with people we have a lot in common with. People that look like us, people that are around the same age of us, that share the same interests. Koinonia is a list of commonalities every Christian has with one another, no matter what they look like, no matter what their interests are, no matter how old they are. Koinonia is the foundation of Christ's community. And once you understand koinonia, all of the images scripture gives for the church become vibrant. 1 Corinthians 12 says we're like a body where every part is diverse but all comes together to work for the health of the whole, that the body is one just as we are one in Christ. Ephesians 2 says we're a new man, that any wall of hostility between our tribes and groups has been demolished by Christ. The church is full of people who aren't like you, who you otherwise, outside of Christ, might not ever hang out with. And those people, even in their differences, have the same mission and purpose and calling that God has given you. Ephesians chapter 4 says we've all been given different gifts by God to build up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, attaining to the measure of Christ's full stature. Then we will no longer be children tossed back and forth by waves and carried about by every wind of teaching. The goal of the church coming together is not to create a new social club, in fact, what you'll find once you get involved with the people at your church is that you may never have been friends with them without Christ. But God in his divine providence has plucked them out, put them in your life, and called you to have fellowship with them. Okay, so that's all well and good. We have the inspirational music. Sounds great. We're talking theology, blah, 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 blah. But you need to let this mess with your life a little bit. Understanding true fellowship should make you question the way you evaluate and participate in your community, in your church. See, because here's the thing. A lot of us see church as a Sunday experience rather than a group of people to be involved with. Hey, can you play that back again? A lot of us see church as a Sunday experience rather than a group of people to be involved with. A place where we show up to worship but never really engage with the people around us. And how do we decide what church we're going to show up to on Sunday? Well, which one feels most comfortable? Which one plays the music that I like? 
Which venue are all my friends going to on Sunday morning? Are the sermons the sort of sermons that I like to hear? But if you've got koinonia in the back of your head, you're not going to walk in on Sunday morning and worry about being comfortable. You're going to look around you and say, these are the people called by God. These are people who share in the divine nature and in the riches of Christ, just like me. And these are the people I'm supposed to share suffering with, people I'm supposed to share evangelism with. These are people I'm supposed to lock arms with. I'm meant to share the Christian life with these people. Maybe you don't feel like you've found the right church or the right community, or you're praying for community and waiting for it to show up. The rich truth of koinonia is that God has provided that community, but it requires you to be involved in it. In most of the New Testament, the yous are plural. It's y'all, it's you all, yous guys, however you say it. But in those few times when the New Testament goes singular, you as an individual, it doesn't say wait for the perfect community. It says get involved with the community that's provided. There are over 30 one another commands in the New Testament, how you should treat those around you. This is how you practice fellowship. And we're to love one another, help one another, encourage one another, care for one another, forgive, submit, commit to, build trust with, be devoted to, be patient with, be interested in, be accountable to, confess to one another, live in harmony with one another. Don't be conceited towards one another, don't pass judgment on, and do not slander one another. Instruct one another, greet one another, admonish one another, spur one another on towards love and good deeds, meet with, greet with, be concerned for, be humble towards, be compassionate towards one another. Do not anger one another, don't consume one another. Don't lie to one another, don't grumble towards one another. Instead, give preference to one another. Be at peace, sing to, be of the same mind with, comfort, be kind, live in peace with one another, and carry one another's burdens. That kind of living, true fellowship, is more than a Sunday morning thing. Heck, it's even more than just showing up to a community group kind of thing. That is a giving of yourself to the people of God as they do the exact same thing for you. And it might seem overwhelming. It might seem like it's an added burden to your already busy life, but it truly is a blessing because life is difficult. It's an endurance race. Listen to the beginning of Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and sin which so easily entangle us, and let us run with endurance the race set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The Christian life is a race that requires endurance, but you don't have to do it alone. You were never meant to become like Christ by yourself. You need the church, and the church needs you. 
like cycling, it's going to take us all working together to get where God's taking us. And it's not going to be easy. At times, it'll probably seem impossible. But God has provided fellowship for us so that you can make it to the finish line, but also so that you could serve the people around you, people desperate for community, using your gifts to bring them with you as you pursue Christ. Oh, and for the record, Johnny Hoogerlin, the guy who was sideswiped by a car at 30 miles an hour, thrown into a barbed wire fence, yeah, he got back on his bike that day and was the fastest guy up the mountains. With his teammates' help, for the next three days, he held the title King of the Mountains. <laughs> Cyclist, man. <laughs>